and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, from the highest point on FSU's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State, coming to you live from room 420 inside of Diffenbaugh. Save your jokes at the door. I am your host, Nicholas Carlisle, bringing you the latest, greatest, and Florida status in everything sports, or at least as much as we can fit within the hour for people all around the world. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter at talk underscore Tomahawk. And you can call into the show at 850-644-1837. That's 850-644-1837. I'm not going to lie. It was a very weird weekend, guys. You know, normally we get up on Saturday morning, drink a cup of coffee or tea if, that, if, if tea's your thing. If tea's your thing, I'm judging you a little bit right now. I know I'm a huge coffee person. It's almost scary. But then we go to Dope Campbell Stadium and watch the team warm up for the football game or go to a bar and watch the game. And there was none of that this weekend. I I think it's really setting in for some people right now. But ladies and gentlemen, this does not have me down. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I'm really, really excited to have football over because, and and I'm sure this reflects in the contents of the show every week, but this school... And this town can be so centered on football that at times it seems like there are no other, no other relevant sports programs for Florida State, and that simply is not true. Men and women's basketball, swimming and diving, baseball and softball are going to be starting soon. And, and, of course, women's soccer, making the argument, as you put it, Chris, that uh, Florida State is a football school. Football! <laughs> we'll get to them tonight as well, and I'm very excited because now it really gives us a chance to give all these programs their time in the spotlight in a world that seems to be so consumed by football. That's why I love this time of year. Uh, so with that being said, we do have a lot to get through tonight, lots to talk about FSU men's basketball, big win against Purdue this past week, and women's soccer, an even bigger win, bringing home the national championship to Tallahassee, and of course the college football playoffs have been set, the panel tonight is going to have their takes on it, and predictions for all the New Year's Six Bowl games, lots of stuff to get through as I said, so we have an extra size panel tonight, let's get right into it, what is a captain without his crew, I am joined by my good friend and co-host Chris Camacho. That's me. Yeah, it is you. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. It's uh, feels good. It's been a good week so far. Uh, very exciting match. Very happy for women's soccer, uh, and it, it feels it feels good, uh, to be a Seminole. And I, I don't think I don't think too many people have said that, uh, this year. So uh, it, it feels very good to be a Seminole. And making his return to the panel for the first time in a while. Brandon Spencer. Now, I need to share this. We have our V89 Sports Fantasy League going on right now, and Brandon's team started out the season. <laughs> And you can hear the snickering in the back. <laughs> Zero and 11. <laughs> and I'm very happy to report that he got his first win last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and. Zero and 11. Zero and 11. And he actually got his second win this week against Luke Fay. And his, ta- and his team name is It's Sad That I'm Actually Trying. Brandon, what do you want to say to your fans after this sharp, sharp turnaround? I want everybody to know. <laughs> that my team is not terrible. They just perform terribly weakly. <laughs> um, I've been meaning to change my name ever since I have. I did win last week, and now I got my two wins under my belt. I feel I feel pretty good about myself. I didn't want to go no winless, but you know, actually still tr- actually trying is going to be on the map, and we're going to be back next year better than ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also returning to the panel, Lucas Vieta, what's been going on with you? Much, just a good time to be a seminal right now. It's been a great week so far. Absolutely, and making her Tomahawk Talk debut, V89 veteran, Miss Jenny McDonald. How are you feeling? 
feeling pretty good. Um, getting over a sickness, so there's always that. I'm doing a lot so, better than last So week. you got the sickness after everybody else got the sickness. This is yeah. why we have Jenny in the tank. I right got now. it from my friend. <laughs> we have quarantined the the studio, and Jen. Well, she's not in the tank, but no, well, yeah, maybe was, maybe we should make that change. That. I'm in the center, though. You're the yeah. center. Yeah. Love everybody. Everybody is dispersing right now. Everybody just backed up in their chair. Nick, can I just say I appreciate you always asking us how we feel. I feel like it's a it's a group therapy session before we start it's the like, show. It, so. I, I, I am concerned with how everybody <laughs> feels. You know? This show wouldn't happen without you. This oh. show wouldn't happen without the people that I forced to come on every week. Uh forget you heard that. And <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Chris Camacho, Brandon Spencer, Lucas Vieta, Jenny McDonald, and once again, I'm your host, Nick Carlisle, and we are starting off the top, which if you didn't know by now, it's a segment where I take a look at the biggest stories in the past week of sports and then ask the panelists about them, forcing them to come up with the answers off the top of their head at the top of the show. And this week, the Kansas City Chiefs released star running back Kareem Hunt this past weekend after a video was released by TMZ Sports that showed Hunt shoving and kicking a woman in what appeared to be a hotel of some kind in Cleveland. Hunt was shown being forcibly held back by a couple of guys, and he still forced his way through to shove and later kick this woman. Now, this incident happened in February of this year. Obviously, it's December now, so that's a long time in between. And the Chiefs said that they were aware of the incident when it happened in February, uh, but claimed that Kareem Hunt was untruthful in what he told them. And, of course, there was an interview that came out yesterday in which he did confirm all of this to be true. Now, there is a lot of talk about this incident. Some whispers saying maybe the woman called him a racial slur and spit in his face provoking Hunt. It's questionable as to whether or not that's true because Hunt didn't exactly explicitly say anything about that during the interview. Guys, this is a rough subject to talk about, and I'm not asking about how you feel morally about the situation because I think we can all universally agree that this is terrible and Hunt is to blame no matter whether there was instigation by this woman or not. You know, I was taught growing up that you should never, ever hit a woman, much so less kick apparently. apparently him as well, much less kick her to the ground. And more or less, um, I think this was deserved. Uh, but I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on the situation in the terms of what this means for Hunt, what this means for the NFL, and whether or not you think the Chiefs handled this correctly. I'll start with you, Chris. I think it depends on what other teams value in this in this case. Well, actually, it, it's different because when I heard about Kareem Hunt, I immediately thought of Reuben Foster and him getting um, removed from the 49ers, but then uh, the, the, who's it? the Redskins. The Redskins pick him up off of waivers and obviously there was some clarification like okay we're the the washington said we're going to wait to see what happens with these allegations however with cream hunt there are no allegations there is video proof of what he did honestly i i, I think he's done playing for the he's, he's definitely not playing for the chiefs again um but i think we live in in a, in a united states time right now where this stuff just doesn't fly anymore yeah, I agree. And again, I see this situation, I definitely compare it to Ruben Foster's, but I see it as more of a Ray Rice situation where you have this um, incident on video. There's no, you know, being able to dispute that he did that. It, the Chiefs definitely handled it the right way. So I'm not sure that he'll get another chance to play. Jody? I agree. Coming from a Ravens fan, I had to deal with the Ray Rice situation a few years ago, and that was really difficult. So... The, for the Chiefs to um, release Kareem Hunt, I agree with that. He, I don't really think that he deserves to play again after this because he, it took him almost seven minutes to finally apologize to the woman that he hit when he was interviewed finally. And so I think that kind of says something that he doesn't really regret it. And if he can play again, then what are the consequences of those actions? Uh, I would agree. I didn't, 
honestly, I watched that interview, and it was kind of a painful interview to watch. He, I, I didn't buy the apology. It, it really just because there was just such a stunning lack of, of information given. Because I, right. I was expecting some, I'm not going to say excuse, but some form of of explanation for his actions besides I shouldn't have done it I'm sorry right give well, somebody you know he talked to a lawyer you know you he know. talked to some PR guy before who said you his can't agent. say more right his agent um, so it was it was very scripted and just the look on his face it, I, I didn't buy it he, it looked like he didn't really want to do the interview right Brandon? he knew he had to but. um I I feel the exact same way uh, when I saw the interview um I when I saw that he said that he deserved forgiveness, I knew Lisa Salters was going to jump on that because at that moment I wanted to jump on that. <laughs> and so it was just one of those things where you're like, well, what have you done to deserve forgiveness? Like, why would you think you deserve forgiveness? Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those things where if he would have came out, if he would have told the truth from the beginning, it would be a completely different story. It would be handled differently. He probably would still be on a Kansas City, on a football roster and probably still on the Kansas City Chief roster. But because he lied about it and because he's been so sincere, I just don't think. Yep. My, fir- my first thoughts when I read the news was, wow, this is just a really bad look for Kareem Hunt, like really bad. And this, this is a tragic, potentially career-ending event that shows that all it takes is one massive screw-up and your life could be changed drastically. And it would really, it really is a lesson of well, a abuse is and always will be terrible, no matter what kind. And b be thankful for what you have because it can be gone in the flash of an eye, or in this case, a kick of the boot. But once I started pulling the pieces together, seeing that th- that this event happened in February, and that there is video of this that somehow, some way, TMZ got it before the NFL did, shows me that the NFL really hasn't learned anything from the Ray Rice situation a few years ago. TMZ and is true sports journalism. They are. You know? <laughs> And, you know, the NFL really doesn't care beyond the terrible PR that this is going to bring to the league. If the league really cared about domestic violence and assault and then truly learned from the Ray Rice incident, the Ezekiel Elliott incident, the Adrian Peter Peterson incident, the Reuben Foster incident most recently, they would have done everything and anything to get that video and solve the issue as soon as it happened. Because, believe me, my father was a copyright attorney for 30-something years. If you want to find and use something bad enough, there are ways to get it, and often people do it illegally. The fact that the NFL, the NFL did not get the video before TMZ got the video is inexcusable. It, It says to me that they knew about this, and they sat on it, and it quite frankly leads me to believe that we are potentially looking at a Ray Rice 2.0 incident right here. Not necessarily as it, per- as it pertains to Kareem Hunt, because I think, I don't know, I, I it's kind of just a disparity situation in how Ray Rice handled it and how Kareem Hunt handled it. But I would wager that alcohol was involved considering how the woman was stumbling and appearing intoxicated in the video. I'm probably sure maybe he had alcohol in his system as well. That's not an excuse. I think that this is more likely over for Kareem as it is right now. He is going to be on the exempt list for a while. Who knows if he'll play again. But... I believe that this is not over for the NFL, and neither should it be. I, I don't think that this is over for them. This, I, this is something that's going to play out for a long time. I was going to say, I, I don't think I'm worried so much about the NFL not getting the tape. Like I, I think for a, as big an organization as it is, yes, it's surprising, but they shouldn't be looking to protect these guys. If, if there are guys who are out there doing this stuff, then uh, one, they shouldn't be playing on, on your team, first of all. So it's it's... Yes, it's tragic, and poor Kareem Hunt's not going to play anymore. But at the same time, it's again we live we live in an age where this stuff just doesn't fly anymore, and I'm not opposed to that. So, 
with that all being with that, Luke. Need I remind you that Tyreek Hill is on the Chiefs and he pled guilty to domestic strangulation, and he's on the Chiefs. That's true. So where where is it now that you know they don't have a video of him, but he got drafted off of that, and Joe Mixon had a video of him, he got drafted off of that, and so really. Do they care? Does the NFL care? And I don't know if any of you guys have anything on that, but it's like you you have the video and everyone, oh, up in arms, but then you look on the same team, they still got a guy, but it's, are you good? So are what, you good? So what I'm hoping from this is that this is going to be the catalyst for some actual change because actual change is what we thought we might be getting with the Ray Rice situation, and it doesn't appear to have fully reached what it should be in terms of getting players like this out of the league protecting the NFL as a whole and more importantly protecting the people that the, the the people that these players interact with. So with that all being said, that was the off the top segment presented by me, sponsored by me, delivered by the panel. Well, Florida State football may not be winning any championships anytime soon, but uh, we have to start off the show uh, with this breaking news happened about an hour before the show started. Walt Bell has accepted a coaching position at University of Massachusetts. And he will no longer be the offensive coordinator for Florida State football. Run. Everybody run. Every <laughs> well, this isn't exactly the coaching change that I thought would happen. And it's not necessarily a coaching change that's made from within. Obviously, this is a decision from Walt Bell to move on to a head coaching position. What's your initial reaction to this, Chris? Um, it's very concerning because Walt Bell is a guy who came from Maryland. Who, who was the offensive coordinator there at Maryland and, and was very excited to take this this coaching position at Florida State. He's a guy that was that's at Florida State is one of the prime places to come play. And I think after a year, I, it almost exposes maybe just how broken down this, this coaching staff is here because if, if Walt Bell is ready to leave, oh, man, that that it spells trouble. But I think it's, it exposes that maybe – Florida State's coaching staff is worse off than it is. Yeah, this makes seems. me this makes me a little worried as well. Not necessarily because of what it might expose the program from being, but I'm just thinking from a football, you know, a, a mechanical standpoint. You know, this is Willie Tiger's offense. That's not going to change. But obviously, Walt Bell did have influences on this. Obviously, he took over the play calling towards the latter half of the season, and I can't say that the play calling exactly got better. So you come in with an off new offensive coordinator that's going to have different ideas about what you're going to be running with the offense. And to me, this is just a, a horrible reset on a Florida State offense that needed another year with the offensive coordinator, Walt Bell, and needed another year with this offense, regardless of whether Francois stays or not. So in my mind, this is, this is a situation where resetting is going to, could potentially be beneficial resetting maybe there's a better offense with better schemes that you know really brings out the best in this offense but really i'm kind of leaning more towards this is going to be really bad and this is a reset that's basically going to move the florida state offense back to the position it was this time last well, year i was gonna say you're resetting after resetting <laughs> double double reset button brandon what do you think the first thing that came to my head was what are we going to do about sam howe coming in because Sam Howe was recruited by this guy, mm -hmm. and he hasn't signed his letter of intent yet. Do you think this decision for him to leave is going to send Sam somewhere else, you know, especially I, with our struggling offensive line that we have in the first place? Right. I, I was worried about that as well, um, but I read, and obviously, I mean, the media only knows so much as well, but apparently Howell's bought into Taggart. He's bought into the system, and you can only hope 
that that holds up. Lucas, what do you think? Well, you know, it's not too surprising. I was kind of considering or I was expecting to see some, you know, changes in staff after the season that we've had. So I'm going to take the more positive outlook and just hope that this is a better reset, that it gives our gives us an opportunity to bring in somebody who can really adjust the offense. Do you agree, Jenny? Um, I'm a little disappointed that he left because even though he did take over the play calling in the last four games and even though like the play calling didn't get a whole lot better, the quarterbacks and other players did put up better numbers in those last four games. And I think that speaks for something. So I'm a little nervous where we're going to go next year. Well, even though Florida State football is not going to be winning any championships, as I said, Florida State soccer, on the other hand, is they did uh, this 2018 women's soccer something. team. They did something. <laughs> <laughs> this soccer team was absolutely <laughs> special, and, and they did win it all this past Sunday, defeating North Carolina by a score of 1-0 uh, to capture the second title in four years since defeating Virginia in 2014. That's the second championship overall. I said it last week on the show that the championship game for the Seminoles team was going to be the semifinal game against Stanford, and I believe that if they were going to win that game, if they were able to win that game, rather, they would end up winning the entire thing. And let me tell you, it is so much fun being right instead of being wrong. But, of course, it's not about me. It's about this extremely talented group of women beating Stanford 2-0. And then, of course, as I said already, um, I'm sure everybody already knows, beating the Tar Heels off of Dallas Dorsey's goal in the 60th minute. What a beautiful goal. What? My goodness. And what a tournament she's had, really, yeah. from the beginning of the season. And, Chris, with how this team started, you could tell that this team in particular was going to be very special from the onset of things. What's made this team so good? Well, honestly, I mean, what's made this is their is their cohesiveness. They, I, I, I talked to Mark to Mark Krikorian before calling. I think it was round one of the of the playoff game, um, when they played Loyola Chicago, and Mark Krikorian said that this team has just found a voice. It, not not so not just in the dynamic duo of da, of Dana Castellanos and Yuji Zhao, but also the way that the back line has worked well together defensively. This is a team. That did not allow a goal for the first, uh, was it was it nine games, ten games? They were on a huge scoreless streak. The, the, the defense not allowing a single goal, I mean. Um, and especially with Caroline Jeffers coming in after mm-hmm. the ACC championship game, after after um, Brooke Bollinger got injured in that game. I was, I was genuinely concerned because, I mean, she didn't have much to worry about against Loyola Chicago, but when it came to playing teams like Penn State or USC – those are teams that are going to attack, and and they they gave her they gave her some problems, but she has shown the maturity that an elite a, a decent goalie and a mature goalie is now going to show going forward. I think what made this team so good was its its mental fortitude, and just being able to stick to the game plan. This this team is one that style is really heavily focused on possession soccer, and that's part of the reason that made this this championship game really interesting to watch was because North Carolina too had the same type of game plan that Florida State did in this matchup but of course something that you can't predict was the 107 minute game that North Carolina had to play against Georgetown to even make it to the championship game and uh, additionally so I think the fact that Florida State had already beaten North Carolina in the ACC championship game uh, helped things as well Lucas do you think that this was more of a case of tired legs for North Carolina or more of a case of Florida State just being that good and having North Carolina's number this season. Yes, I think it was all Florida State. They were spectacular out there. You know, they played with real ambition. So I think that their talent just got them through. Brandon, everybody wants to talk about Daniel Castellanos, but I really think the MVP of this team has really been Dallas Dorsey. And if not Dallas Dorsey, really think the defense overall has been the star of this tournament run, especially within the remaining 
moments of the championship game when the Tar Heels were really beginning to push the tempo. I think they had six shots in the second half compared mm-hmm. to two from Florida State. And as we already said, Caroline Jeffers coming in after Brooke Bollinger got injured in the ACC championship game. And they did not concede, like, at all. Maybe one or two goals the entire tournament, yeah. something like that. Is is there an MVP on this team? Or is this really just a picture-perfect definition of a well-rounded team that's worked really well together? I think it's just a well-rounded team. It's just the fact that we come it, – it, it takes more than one person, especially on the defensive end, to hold teams like Stanford, who are on a, what, 45-game winning streak? Something like that. And a North Carolina team that we played before all the time in the ACC play, as well, ACC play as well as um, in, the, in the tournament. And so for us to shut those, both those teams out, as well as the other teams that we played throughout the tournament, is is nothing but a team effort. And I just applaud them for coming together so well, especially in clutch time. Women's soccer, giving giving the Null Nation something to be very, very proud about. Probably the most consistent and really best program that, that this school has had over the past, I guess, decade or so. <laughs> you know what's incredible, actually? As, as I was watching the game, there was a, a graphic that, that came on. UNC is essentially the Yukon of women's the, soccer. Of women's soccer, exactly. Um, Twenty-one national championships. Oh my UNC Lord. has. Oh, yeah. I think I saw that too. Right. And I didn't believe it. I had to double check that yeah. stat. <laughs> no. Oh. Oh. You better believe it. They. I think they had maybe eight consecutive national champions championships at one point. Like this is a perennial powerhouse, and so I think Florida State has now is assuming that role going forward. Congratulations to women's soccer for bringing home the natty. I'm sure that this entire city is ecstatic and extremely proud of the work that these women have been able to do. Florida State men's basketball are playing tonight as soon as the show is done. They are facing Troy at 8 o'clock, but of course the big news coming from the men's basketball camp is of course the roller coaster game against number 19 ranked Purdue coming off a loss to the defending champions Villanova this game went down to the wire and of course the game winner by Trent Forrest in the final seconds lifting Florida State over Purdue Brandon you were at this game what was the experience like and what impressed you most about this team in this most victory most importantly how did you stay quiet <laughs> <laughs> all right so <clears throat> this game was incredible like the energy and Tuck that night was unlike anything I've seen there in a while. So just putting that there right now. The fans really showed up, and I love that. I was biting my shirt. Um, <laughs> because, because facial reactions and just literally keeping myself compact in order for my for for in order for me not to cheer for this team. Because in the first half they looked great, they looked really good, and then the second half was just complete opposite. And they went on a run at the end of the game, an 8-0 run, really, to, in, to end the game. And then it with Trent Forrest just being a clutch player that he is, hitting a fall-away jumper off one foot. It was incredible. The crowd went crazy. I, It was definitely a memory that I'm going to keep for, for a long time. While, while biting a hole into your shirt. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like my, my Literally, my collar was wrinkled by the time I left that game. <laughs> and Chris, this team's still without Phil Kofer, and my initial thoughts when this happened was good for Trent Forrest because even though he, he has proven to be a clutch player, I think everybody wants to talk about Terrence Mann and his development as a player into being the leader of this team and his growing confidence. And, of course, you have P.J. Savoy being the prominent three-point threat for this team. I kind of feel like Forrest maybe gets lost in the crowd a little bit. Um, how about the resiliency of this Florida State team playing without one of its better players and still being able to get quality wins like this one? Absolutely. I, th- I think it just it's, it's a testament to their depth to their depth as a program and Trent Forrest like you were saying also what a great guy too I, I've got I've got a class with him yeah. 
and he walked into class and I was just like I was, humble brag you know it's whatever uh, <laughs> weird flex but okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was just like man great game and, and he's humble enough he he just kind of chuckled and he's like thanks man I really appreciate that I don't know I just I you don't I don't I feel like guys who perform that well on a team that's doing that well it's just it, it's really great and refreshing to see and and no doubt I think the key to this game and really the whole season thus far is how much production that Florida State has been able to get from its bench, outscoring Purdue's bench, I think, 26-17. to 17. Jenny, what does that, that kind of productivity from the bench do for this, for this basketball team? More, more or less, is it, is it more just a catalyst to really develop the starters? Or, Can you tell the again? Yeah. <laughs> uh, out, I mean, Florida State's bench outscored Purdue's bench 26-17, to 17, and it's been a real great facilitator for the starters when they haven't been able to to get things going. And Brandon, you can chime in. And Lucas, you can chime in as well. What does having that depth, what does having that bench presence do for this basketball team? I think it provides like a security blanket almost because you always know that the bench is there, I guess. Um, yeah. Um, well, just – all right, so with our starters, they're – Everybody's already honing in on Trent Forrest. Everybody's honing in on Terrence Mann. Everybody's honing in on P.J. Savoy because those are the guys that are going to put points on the board. But guys that are coming off the bench are that are able to, like, especially Raekwon Gray, the way the minutes that he's picking up in place of Phil Kofer is huge because not only is it going to add for more depth as we go into ACC play in tournament time, but it's also going to um, give him more confidence later on, and he's going to continue to play better and better. Uh our bench play is going to be the reason we are successful in ACC play because of the high-powered starters and offenses that are all over the ACC. Lucas, your final thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm going to agree. I think having that, you know, bench presence, it really rounds this team out, you know, gives us that depth that we really need to compete. It's I feel like we've been playing like we're still in, you know, March Madness. Like we've been playing with that drive like we're still in the tournament, so... And you think that you think that's really is that a product of the of the work that Terrence Mann has been able to do to really even further solidify his position as the, as the leader of this team? Yeah, I think so. All right, we're about halfway through the show, seven thirty one right now. We are going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back to talk about the college football playoff, uh, some more Florida State news, and of course talking about the New Year's Six games, the huge games that are going to be coming sooner rather than later. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Hey, that lover, damn, I miss you, it's been crazy, I paint this picture, drop my pancakes on my mattress, tried to pull off, tires flattened, lost my celly in my coffee, then got yelled at by Miss Bossy, if my luck doesn't change, I'll be out of my brain by the night. Network. 
Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We left you on the other side of the break talking about men's basketball, women's soccer. Again, once again, bringing home the national championship to Tallahassee. But now moving on to football, the wonderful okay. sport of football again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just rounding up some Florida State news that, that I, I did uh, inadvertently forget about, but it's really... I guess I forgot about it because it's one of those things that's really kind of something that doesn't need to be said, but it's news nonetheless. Brian Burns declaring for the draft today. It's something that pretty much everybody, their sister, their mother, their brother, their father, extended family they haven't seen for three years. Everybody, everybody saw coming. So, and then the the logical next step in that news is saying, well, okay, we knew this was going to happen. Where does Florida State go? With its edge, with its edge rush passing, Josh Kando did have a very, very good couple of games when he first saw the field. But more or less, he's kind of been disappointing in the games that he played this past season. Chris, Chris, where does where does this program go when it comes to the defensive end position? To the defensive end, I, well, honestly, I liked what I saw out of Kando, I, and I, I liked. Um, I feel like we've seen enough depth. We've seen a lot of depth. On that line, death or depth? Depth, because uh, well, we don't need maybe the run missing, game died, but or the run we don't need to be died, seeing but. any fewer players on this team. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, ultimately, I think because I know recruiting wise, we're not going to be looking for for defensive linemen. You know, it, well, hopefully, recruiting wise, Florida State's looking opposite. for offensive linemen. Exactly, exactly. A man can only dream. <laughs> um, but honestly, I'm trying to think of, of course, now all, all the. All the players that we've seen are escaping me now, but I, I'm not too worried for this defensive line. It, it hasn't. There are other players besides Brian Burns right. on the line. Um, I, are we losing Christmas as well? I believe. He, well, he's a senior, he's so a senior. He, okay, he's, so he's, he's going gone to be gone as well. as well. But I think Marvin Wilson has already really secured up that defensive that nose tackle right. position, and he for more or less he played very very well when he was called on, and he did, and he did get more playing time mm-hmm. over the course of the season. But in the grand scheme of things. The college football playoff is set. The four teams have been chosen, and there is a lot of debate going on right now. Well, for the, the primary thing that I'm hearing more or less is, man, we really need to extend the college football playoff. And we've already talked about it this 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 um, this semester thus far, a couple of shows back. But just a general question for general discussion in the room: Did they get it right? Anybody anybody can feel the free to four? the top four. Did they get it right? <clears throat> Yes. <laughs> I think they definitely got it right. Um, for one, I love, I really like Georgia. I'm going to put that out there. I think Georgia's a really good team. I think they are good enough to be in the Final Four, but they lost to LSU team 
a very, very good uh, LSU team, touted LSU team, but they did lose the LSU team, and they lost to Alabama. They haven't put a two-loss two team in yet, and they can't deny the, the three conference winners and Notre Dame. So I think they got it right. I, I, I don't think that the conference really all that makes much of a difference anymore. I think that going into what it was, that was one of the things that was at the forefront of the committee's mind. But you take a look at some of the conference games being played, Ohio State versus Northwestern, Clemson versus Pittsburgh. <laughs> it's kind of laughable. I, I really don't think that, especially this season, that the, the committee should have looked to the conference championships as heavily as they did. I would have even expected Clemson to kind of fall down considering that they just played Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh, although they've had a pretty good season, all things considered, in an ACC that has proven to be the top, if not one of the top conferences, it's just not all that impressive. Jenny, what do you think about the uh, the Final Four teams? I'm going to be really honest. I haven't looked at them. <laughs> you're, you're, not, you're not a fan. You're not a fan of... Uh, I've been sick. You, well, I know you've been sick. <laughs> Lucas, you care to piggyback off that? What do you think? Yes, I mean, I personally, I wanted to see Georgia in it in the final spot, but I think that they got it right. You know, that Oklahoma team, Kyler Murray, definitely they do deserve to be in it. See, I'm not, I'm not so, I'm, I'll let you go, Chris, but I'm not so sold on Oklahoma. But I was gonna say, oh, I, I think, I think that first game is gonna be really exciting. You, you got the two Heisman candidates going, going at it. Well, if, well, Tua isn't gonna play. He's not gonna play. He's down like. He's going to play. Yeah, I'm hearing yeah. he's only out for a couple of weeks, he's so we play. should be seeing you think, him. you think he's going to play? Uh, I don't, yeah. And, Nick, before you get started on your rant. Before you can see it in my before eyes. Before you, you get know started, me. look at what Jake Fromm did to Alabama secondary. Mm-hmm. He torched them, right? Like, absolutely throwing dimes, torched them. Kyler Murray is just as good of a quarterback, if not better, especially as an athlete. And you don't think with his weapons – He's not going to be able to do the same thing. It's not about the offense, Brandon. It's about the defense. They've been giving up points all year. Yeah, that's the point. That's the point. It's going to happen regardless. Well, that that <laughs> all you have to do is you have to stop Oklahoma twice. That's all it takes. That defense at Oklahoma is so terrible. There is no way that I see them beating Alabama. I know that's not the question at hand, but they are not a good football team apart from the offense. Sure, Kyler Murray's incredible. Sure, he's throwing dots across the field, and sure, he could do that against Alabama, but they're not going to win this football game. They are not a top-four team in the nation. Georgia should have been. It should have been Georgia. This should have been a case where it was the first time a two-loss team has been let in, and I, I, I'm kind of disappointed that it wasn't set that way because when you look at what it is, Georgia was a Kirby Smart good punt decision away from potentially beating Alabama, the team that Kirby has been can't. Ironic about it. Ironic Kirby Smart. Did he has been. Play. He has been. Or excuse me, Alabama has been champion as this unbeatable force for the entire year. Now, granted, they haven't played that many good teams. They've played. They played obviously LSU. They played Auburn. Auburn's not that great. They played Mississippi State, and all these teams, all these potential challengers that have been saying, well, maybe they can do something Alabama so far has been pushed away to the side. Oklahoma's not going to change that. I just think that Oklahoma, I, I, like I said, I agree, I, I agree that Georgia's a great team, and I think they're a better overall team than Oklahoma. But in terms of getting it right and getting all these teams in, I think they're a fit, and I think Oklahoma has a real shot at actually beating Alabama. I think you're nuts. Oklahoma's defense has made plays 
when they needed to. When the game's on the line, Oklahoma's defense has made stops. They've made enough stops to win games. That's the important thing. That's what needs to be happen to win games, and that's what they've done. And I can see them doing the same thing against Alabama. Would I, t- would I take a money bet on this game? No. But, <laughs> but I would not be surprised if Oklahoma upset Alabama. So what about Notre Dame then? Notre Dame is is the the team the one it seems like the one team a year. Well, of course Alabama has gone undefeated, but Notre Dame this season is the team that's gone undefeated. Notre Dame doesn't have a conference yet that sit at number 3. Does that bother anybody or is that just the way that it is? Are they one of the top 4 teams in the nation, Lucas? I I think so. You know, you look at what they've been able to do. I think that they've just, you know, they've beaten Let's see. Well, they beat Florida State. <laughs> Badly. <laughs> That's not saying much, Nick. Yes. Everybody beat Florida State. Everybody. I mean, we were three quarters away to tie in Clemson, so. Three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think about and, it like and, that. and about 50 points. Um, three quarters and 50 points. Do the, do the conversion math on that. But you were saying, Notre, you, you think Notre Dame is one of the top four teams in the Sorry, country? Sorry, Fraser. I think as an overall team, maybe not. That defense, I'm not so sure about, but that offense, I definitely would consider top four. So here so here we find in the three and the four slot, two teams with good offenses but bad defenses facing two to other teams with great defenses and really, yeah, offenses. I think Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers really probably have the best offense out of the four. Yes. Or excuse, me, not, excuse me, not the offense out of the four because Oklahoma has the better offense, but when it comes to the most well-rounded team, I think Clemson is the most well-rounded team but Alabama is the best team here. Would you agree with that, Chris? If yeah. not for – well, again, as it, we said, a, a Kirby not-so-smart punt uh, to go for it on fourth down <laughs> decision away. Fourth and 11. Like, I'm, I'm going to take back that question. Like, what were what was he thinking? I almost broke my TV, man. Dude, <laughs> Kirby Smart is playing a version of NCAA oh, Football 19 that is not released yet worldwide. Why are you going for it on fourth and eleven? No, that was that was wild. I I, I couldn't believe it. But on let, let me be honest with you. I think there is something that happens with this Alabama team that once it gets in a rhythm and once it builds that momentum, there's oh. just, there's just no stopping that train. And they they can come back from adversity. That's the thing. When they've been down to Georgia twice, twice in Atlanta, and coming back and still won. Which is now know. lost to a backup QB twice in a row. That's true. I just, I, I just feel so bad. This is literally the same situation, two years in a row. This literal same situation. Like, I feel bad for Georgia. Yes, and for their yes. players. I'm a Falcons not fan. Not for Kirby Smart. I'm a Falcons fan. I think Georgia sports has a curse at this point. Um, <laughs> we everybody knows about twenty eight to three. Yes, I rep the Falcons. I, yeah. um, Georgia, it's just I don't I I can't put it into words. I I was. Flabbergasted. So you, you, you flabber, just straight flabbergasted. Just straight, 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 straight flabbergasted. That's I mean, your, that's your Brandon Spencer word of the day. They had two different opportunities on fourth and two to go for it in the third and, and yeah. third in the fourth quarter, and they went for it in the fourth and eleven. Yeah, no, it definitely Kirby not so smart. Just and I texted everybody during that game. I said, well, there Alabama's won this football game right mm-hmm. then and there. But uh, moving on, I didn't want to believe it, Nick. I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to believe it either. I don't think. I don't think anybody wants to believe it. It's li- it's literally the as as unbiased as we have to be as reporters. It's literally the world against Alabama at this yeah. point. Um, the two teams outside of the bubble. We've already talked about Georgia, Ohio State. I, I I was on paper or on paper. I was on record rather as saying that I don't believe Ohio State should be in the college football playoff anywhere near there. But yet they end up heavily having one of the more strong cases along with Georgia. Is anybody here thinking that Ohio State should have made it into the college football playoff? 
No, negative. Because and 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 I'm and I'm glad that we don't have I'm glad that we don't have to argue about that because you already think Oklahoma is going to be or is going to have a shot to beat Alabama. Yes, they do. Um, Ohio State shouldn't have been any. I, I'm surprised they're. I'm surprised that they're ranked above UCF. I am surprised that they were anywhere close to getting into the college football playoff, especially after losing to 29 to Purdue and then almost losing, being a, a, a catch, a caught, excuse me, a caught touchdown away from losing to Maryland, which at the time was probably the most dysfunctional organization program, whatever have you, in the entire nation after that whole DJ Durkin stuff came out. And you almost lose to that team in an absolute shootout of a game. Nobody really here thinks that Ohio State should be anywhere near it. I'm glad that we can all agree upon that. But can we get to the fun stuff with the New York Six and er, New York Six? The New, New Year's Six. Six. <laughs> yes. New York Six. Yes. As soon as I open back up my computer with all my notes, but you can get us started there. Because I I really want to know what Luke Fay has to say about playing LSU, about oh. his UCF Knights taking on LSU. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. I I, I don't get it. I think that I really, I really do. I'm not, I'm not mad about not making the playoff. Like I, that's understandable, but for Michigan to not even play in a conference championship game, two, they have, they have two losses. For them to just sit there at home and be ranked ahead of UCF after that, and cause UCF to not play Florida. That's, that's all. That's all I wanted was them to play Florida because then that's the game that people want. Michigan has never played LSU. That's a powerhouse. People want that game as well. How many times have we seen Florida and Michigan? One thousand times. Three, three times I think in the last four years. I think, but I think I saw a stat that it's one. It was something like one thousand. Yeah, that I th- think I was a joke. I know, but, but yeah, three times in the last three or four years. And aren't you over it? Aren't you over it at this point? Michigan's going to come in. They're going to come over. in and stomp Florida. That's a given. That's a given. Michigan's going to come in and stomp Florida. And UCF's going to play an LSU team that's okay. They're okay. And, I mean, it's not even that if they beat them, it's not really that great of a win, is it? It's a, it's an average win at best. I think, I think really UCF is put in a position where it's exactly – not exactly similar, but as close as it can get to the position that they were in last season when they played, yeah. when they played Auburn. It, I think it's a little bit worse of a situation because LSU didn't really beat anyone. I mean, they beat uh, Georgia – and I guess that mattered a little bit, but they did beat Miami at the beginning of the season as well. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Miami barely made the, the well, bowl game. I, but it's, that being it's, that being to be said, said, it was a team that was ranked at the time. Yeah, that that being said, it just it's a uh, at this point UCF is just playing for pride to extend their streak and good good for them. But they didn't give anyone what they wanted. Everyone would have liked to see Florida and UF and Michigan and LSU, and they botched that. I don't know if you guys agree with that or not, but I think they did. Whether there is agreement or not. I have a quick question. Quick question. Quick question. So, if Mackenzie Milton is healthy, is UCF ranked higher or have a chance of playing in the playoffs? No, I don't think so. No chance of playing in the playoffs. I don't think. Well, I think either way, there's no chance of playing in the playoffs. I don't think as great as Mackenzie Milton has been this season. I just think overall, there's this, this, there's this distinction around UCF that probably would have kept them out anyways. I, I think they might have been ranked ahead of Michigan, but but the thing is, if I don't know, everyone was probably watching the Georgia-Alabama game, but if you watch that UCF game, they got a pretty damn good quarterback at backup. A pretty darn good one. 349 yards, four, uh, four rushing touchdowns and two passing touchdowns. That's insane. Uh, so for him to come in in that situation is huge. 
So it wasn't like they went out and laid an egg. That was, I mean, talk about it's the, it was the championship backup quarterback, Jalen Hurts, redemption. <laughs> he came in in the same stadium, the same team, and this time came off the bench and redeemed himself. That's one of the cooler stories of the year. <gasps> cooler stories of the year. I, I, I saw, a, I think, a Bleacher Report article a post or something that said uh, this is the comeback story of the season and i that uh, that kind of set me off a little. i think university university of alabama birmingham being shut down two years ago and then coming back to win the the usa conference that's a bit that's a that's probably the biggest story of the year that's kind of just a side a side note there but since we've been talking about lsu ucf already we're going to go through all the new year six bowl games and we're going to give our predictions and uh a little bit extra on that. I've asked everybody to come prepared with a little something, something. So we're going to start with LSU it's versus UCF. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> say you never studied, Chris. But we're going to start there, going around the table, predictions for this game and why. We're starting with LSU. We're starting. Well, we've already been there for a while. LSU that's, versus UCF. This fair. is this is the Fiesta Bowl in Glendale, Arizona. I, I think it's going to be a close one here. Um, I, I think UCF's got a great team. Um, LSU, even though they're just okay. Uh, I think they still are going to pull ahead. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be LSU by a field goal. Give me a uh, 24-21. I'm calling this game about 35 to 25. Now, I think UCF they do have a great quarterback with, you know, Daryl Mack Jr. He had a great game against Memphis, but there is a, you know, we can all agree that there's a big difference between Memphis and LSU. So, I think that, you know, he just doesn't have he won't have the experience to really get past it. Jenny I think UCF's going to come out on top because of their offense, of how um, high tempo it is, I guess, and how fast it is. And I don't think that the LSU defense is equipped to handle that kind of thing. But if they can stop the offense, then I think that they have a chance. But I, I just see UCF just completely smashing it. Do you have a score? Mm, I, I don't have like a score, but I see U, uh, UCF winning by at least a field goal. So, so UC, UCF by an undisclosed amount. Brandon? <clears throat> This was hard for me. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> because Mac, it's hard to gauge Mac off of one game. And so because he played so well, I'm going to go off that high. I'm going to go off the preparation they're going to put in to play against LSU. And I'm going to give it to UCF. I got them winning 31-24 to with their defense making a huge play at the end of the game. All right, Luke. I know that you're the you're not technically on panel tonight, but you are the yeah, UCF I, in in the ball in 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 the ballpark here. So I I recuse myself on New Year's Six bowl games with UCF. They always ask me what I think, and if anything, I think that UCF has something. This is one of those where UCF has something to play for. And Daryl Mack Jr. He went and played in East Carolina in a road test. He he did that before and won that game and won the Memphis game. If he gets a couple more reps. It could be a good game, but um, I'm, I'm not going to say who's going to win it, but there's got to be a lot more effort on UCF side than LSU because they have a 25-game winning streak to, to hold on to. LSU actually also without their, their star cornerback, too. Mm-hmm. I think it was Greedy. Greedy, yep. But they said Devin White will play, the star linebacker will play in the uh, bowl game. So, What I want to happen is I want UCF to win this game. I want UCF to get a little bit more of a reputation and potentially have this have this win be a pointing uh, or a place to point to when UCF maybe potentially tries to get into a conference that might give them a little bit more reputability because that, let's be honest that's the one thing that is keeping them out of the playoffs at this point is that they're playing in a lesser conference against lesser opponents if UCF is somehow able to beat LSU that would be absolutely 
monumental in propelling this program into that next step. So I would like to see that happen. So we can see these 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 matches that formally would be, well, what if UCF played this team? How would they match up? Playing in those conferences will give you those matches. So I would like for UCF to win, but I think LSU is going to win this in the end. I think their defense is going to really put really the UCF, not necessarily in shackles because UCF's offense is really good. They were able to climb back out of a hole. I think, what, they only, they, they 17 at half, and then they, they just went on an absolute tear. I, I do have a question for y'all. If, if, if UCF wins this game, and let's say they even make it to the end of next season with one loss, do they make it into the playoffs? Well, no. that's the question. That's always kind of been the question. Not with their schedule. Not with the schedule. Not in their They're still. playing Stanford next year at home and Pittsburgh as well. So their schedule isn't that terrible next year. If it was to happen, and I said this last year, it has to be next year's schedule. Next year's schedule. So UCF might as well play in the SEC if they beat LSU. Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. All right. We've already talked about this one as well, but the Peach Bowl in Atlanta, Florida versus Michigan. Chris, what do you think? Oh, I didn't realize that was a New Year New Year's Six Bowl. But well, it is. <laughs> it, it doesn't quite sound like it, does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, it's just just because of how heavily favored Michigan is. I just I don't see this going any other way but in Michigan's favor. Um, give me final score. Give me thirty-five, twenty-four, Michigan. Lucas, I'm gonna call it a little closer. I'm gonna say Michigan wins it by a field goal, about thirty-eight to thirty-five. You know, usually I would think that that they, you know, stomp Florida, but... I'm, so, I'm sorry Florida's, to interrupt you, but you think Florida is going to score 35 points? <laughs> Their offense this year, I'll, I'll give it to them. They've been a lot better, so yeah, I'm considering this one a little closer, but I still got Michigan on top. They scored so many on Florida State. <laughs> so well, uh, well, we'll just leave that. Jenny? Moving on. Um, I'm thinking Michigan, too, just because of how dominant they've been, and I just really want to see Florida just get stomped <laughs> in the ground. <laughs> yeah, Brandon? I don't like Florida. <laughs> um, all right. And <laughs> but, but, but I, 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 I kind of have to uh, – it, it, we have to we have to <laughs> lay the middle line except when it comes to Florida apparently. Just giving it to that. But I think, don't, don't I think they have a quality defense, but I think that's not going to do anything against them for them. I got Michigan winning 38-24. to 24. I think there's going to be a party in Tallahassee when Michigan defeats Florida by at least two touchdowns. I don't think this is going to be close. I think Florida's probably going to get a little bit embarrassed by this game, and it's going to – if they finish the season, what, ranked ninth? That's a little bit too high for me. I think it's a little high for a lot of people. At least two touchdown victory for Michigan in the Peach Bowl. The Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, Ohio State versus Washington. Chris? Really? Did you get? Did you really? get? Did you get any of that? No, no, I, I heard that. I'm just, I don't. Uh, Washington, it, it, really? Is this? Uh, well, I mean, really? I, I, I agree. The the new the New Year's Six bowl games are kind of questionable this year. The, yeah. Okay. I, I think they. I think the committee. The the committee. The committee <laughs> got the playoffs right, but they really did something with these with these bowl games. Um, give me o- Ohio State. I I, I like what Urban Meyer's done with the football program not so much on a personal level um and i see ohio state destroying washington to be honest well the look at the the the, um the rose bowl is the big 10 versus the pac-12 conference championship winner so it's not like they have a choice but that being that being said um i think ohio state wins this game in a large fashion we're gonna uh fast forward through this one 
Um, just, or well, we could give a quick score prediction. You want if you want to throw one out there. I think Ohio State's going to win this game. Washington's been kind of that that team this year that has been, I guess, a, necessarily a dark horse. But it's one of those dark horses that's kind of just like, yeah, you are what you are, but you're not going to go anywhere with it. Anybody have any uh, score predictions for this game? Ohio State. I actually have Washington winning this game. Oh, Brandon. You're, 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 you're just going against me every single every single time today. I'm not going against it. I just like – I. all right, listen. You told me to listen. Rank incoming. <laughs> I think Jake Browning is going to have his breakout game that we've been looking for him to have all season. Mm. He's supposed to be what? He's supposed to be like one of the top quarterbacks taking, taken in the draft this year. He was supposed to be. He was supposed to be drafted. I think he's gonna. This is gonna be his come, not coming out, but coming back party. As he's, I think he's gonna torch Ohio State, and I think Washington is gonna win a close game, forty-two to thirty-eight. I think you're nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I think I think I think I've said that at least a couple times uh, already today. I'm writing. I'm writing these predictions in my notes. And we're going to come back to this. And <laughs> like I'm it. right. I don't want to hear well, anything. It, well, you will not hear the end of it. It's definitely going to be an I skipped it segment for me if I am <laughs> I wrong. I was going to say. Uh, the, final, the final, well, I guess this isn't necessarily the final bowl game, but apart from the, uh, the college football playoff games, the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, Georgia versus Texas. Okay. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's another really for me. Uh, but again, it's the SEC championship. Oh, well, I guess it's not. It's the SEC loser versus the Big Twelve loser. So. Oh, I, I mean, I guess that, that. I guess that's their. That's how they cover their butts. Is <laughs> well, we we had to do this. We so. don't exactly have much of a choice, but right. still, I, Georgia takes this one all the way. Unless Texas pulls some Texas magic, and <laughs> Texas is back, and they somehow find a way to beat Georgia. I, I don't see it happening though. I don't like you saying that mockingly because I do think Texas is back. They just had to run into Oklahoma which really the Texas defense isn't strong enough yet to put up with that kind of point production from Kyler Murray who will win the Heisman this year. I believe so. Lucas, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think about this game? So, I'm calling it about 30 to 24. I got Georgia winning this one. Um I think that yeah, if the game goes anything like Texas and Oklahoma last week, it will definitely be a good one to watch, but I think yeah, there's a huge difference between Oklahoma's defense and Georgia's defense, so Georgia will be a lot more dominant. Jenny? I'm actually taking Texas for this game. Ooh. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it's going to be a close That's game. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be a close game, but I think my reason for it is the sole factor of motivation because Texas hasn't had this kind of platform in almost a decade, but Georgia thought they were making the playoffs, and I think they're a little disappointed that they're not, so I don't see why they would put in so much effort Again, you know, Texas, I think, would put in a lot more effort in this, and I think that's going to look good in the edge. It'll be close, though. Brandon, we're running out of time, so we're going to go through these in the last two games very, very quickly. What do you think, quickly, score prediction on this? Um, I got uh, Georgia winning 45-20. to 20. I just don't think Texas' defense is going to be able to stop Georgia's running game. I would say that was actually my score as well. So, into the playoff games, we've already talked a lot about, <laughs> at least me and Brandon, we've already talked about Alabama versus Oklahoma. Quick score predictions around the table. I'll Chris. go. I'll go all the way. Uh, to the championship game and say Alabama takes it again. Oh, you're going all the way to the against championship against Clemson. Game. Okay, Lucas, you don't um, have to Col- go that far, but you know. All right, Orange Bowl, 45-32 Alabama. Okay, Jenny. I think Alabama takes it too. Alabama again, and then I, I might not even let you speak. <laughs> Alabama wins the game, 35 to 31. Okay, 
Alabama is going to win this by at least 15 points. Wow. I'm going to I'm going to say 35 to 20. Uh, Alabama is going to. I, th- I think Oklahoma is going to score. Oklahoma has one of the best offenses in the in the country. They are going to have to score eventually, but the defense is just going to give up too many points. And then Clemson versus Notre Dame, the Cotton Bowl in Arlington, Texas. Well, I gave you mine. I told you Clemson's going. You tell Clemson's going all the way, Lucas. Clemson, all the way. Clemson, all the way. Clemson. Oh my God, this is like the Warriors and the Cavaliers. It just back to back to back. back. I just kind of want to say Notre Dame just to be different, but no, Clemson's going to win that game. <laughs> the Oklahoma and Notre Dame in the final. <laughs> yeah, Notre Dame, Oklahoma in the final. Let's go. Wouldn't that be? A, I mean, that would be interesting. That would be, that'd be fantastic. That would be a yeah. story. We are out of time. We are overtime. Uh, I am picking Clemson to win as well. But we are out of time here. New releases up next. Thank you all so much for listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.